0: Introduce yourself and, and just explain how you began to be involved in foster care.
1: So I'm Dan Eichhorn. You're good. Dan Icorn and my wife Holly. Uh, we started foster care, being involved with it uh, together about nine years ago. Um, Holly was involved with the foster care system before that, and I'll let her explain a little bit more about that.
2: Um. Right after I graduated, um, I was a foster care case manager, so I was involved in foster care professionally for probably about five years before we became foster parents um, as a family.
3: I'm Josh, and this is my wife, Chelsea, and uh, we uh, started in the foster care world uh, in April. Uh, We got a a placement um, that was a kinship placement and then worked towards um, uh, being licensed foster parents, and so less than a, a year that we've been doing this. So we're not experts, but they are. So, <laughs> yeah. Um,
4: well, honestly, it's kind of changed for us um, since we started this for this journey. Um, initially we, um, when Josh and I first got married, um, we always kind of talked about adopting. Um, but then just with the, with the cost of adoption, I started looking into, um, foster care. And, um, so I just, uh, started reading as much as I could read. I joined every foster care support group online that I could. Um, we went to a few, a few trainings and things like that and and as i as I immersed myself into that that world, um, I started to just get more and more um, passionate about it and feel like you know I think this is maybe something that God's calling our family to um, but also on the other hand of that while i um, was becoming more passionate, I was also becoming more fearful and because it's 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 hard and taking up um, pain, the pain of other people is a a hard thing. And that, you know, that's, you're also bringing your family into that. Um, And so we just kept kind of putting it off, putting it off. We knew it was something we wanted to do, but um, we just hadn't taken that jump yet. And um, one day we got a phone call for a kinship placement of four children. And we, we had not started our classes yet. We had not it wasn't really on our radar at that point. Um, but with a, with a shaky yes, we, we said yes. And um, immediately after that phone call... I just panicked, and um, I ended up calling my my cousin Mandy, who um, is involved in foster care. She's a part of a few organizations here in Marysville, and she also has adopted. and And I called her, and I'm just like, "We're about to double our family, and we don't have anything for these kids. And how are we going to do this?" And and I, I remember her saying, "You know, God goes. God is before you in this. He he is not calling you to anything that he." is not um, in and he has led you to this. And so um, we got off the phone and she, with just all of her connections she had, within a couple of hours she called me back and she said, we have meals for you lined up. Um, I have a few people that have beds for you. I'll bring that over. I have gift cards for you. And she all of that within a couple of hours. And we, we did not know any of these people and it just um we were in awe of how this community just kind of wrapped around us um and so uh, <laughs> I don't know being the rookie that I being the rookie that I am I you know all of this was in motion and we were on our way to get the kids and the social worker um Called us and said the judge has given mom a continuance, and so they'll be staying um, in the home with mom. So then I had to call Mandy back and say I'm sorry, this isn't this is happening. Um, but but through that, it told us a couple things. One, um, we were not alone in this. There was a great community that you know strangers that we did not know, but willing to. Um, kind of wrap around us and wrap around the kids that we bring in our home, and also that maybe now, maybe now is the time that, you know, God was kind of telling us, hey, I have this for you now, and so we went ahead and started our classes, and um, through that, that's kind of when um, my passions changed a bit, um, just in that um, we we started to develop a heart for the families of the kids um, that would come into our care um, and realize that, you know, it's not, always, it's not always black and white. It's not always that, um, you know, sometimes it's really good for families to be reunified. And if we can be a support in that, um, then that's something that we're really passionate in doing.
0: What's a, tell, you use the phrase kinship. Why don't you explain what the difference is? Sure. Yeah. So,
4: kin- so kinship um, usually it can be family member or um, for us it was just like a friend of a family, and so um, they that's ultimately what they always want is the kids to be with family if they can. So, um, a kinship placement um, they're not they're in the foster care system, but you're not getting um, kind of the supports that come with with a with the foster care
3: and you you don't you also don't have to be licensed at that at that point it's um so um yeah so that's kind of how we started um so my um we have a lot of the same why um because we're married and that's what we do um (laughs) Uh, But I had kind of started, uh, had a little bit of experience in the foster care world. Uh, Right out of college, I started working at a group home uh, residential treatment facility in Mount Vernon, uh, where there was lots of teenagers, uh, 17 to 20 teenagers that were living there. And they were kind of part of the, most of them were part of the foster care world. Uh, Either they were out of placement, because it's really tough to find placements for teenagers, uh, or some of them had been... Uh, in trouble and they were coming out of uh, juvenile detention facilities but uh, I got to kind of see firsthand the foster care world um, looking for homes for the the teens and trying to find those placements but never would have uh, thought that I would be on this end of the, of the foster care world um, but uh, so so kind of with that and then my experiences at, at lower lights um, and being able to be immersed in uh or surrounded by people who were in tough situations and kind of developing a passion for that. Um, And to be honest, I I didn't say this first service, but um, I think one of the whys for me (laughs) was because I needed something. I needed God to call me to do something that made me really uncomfortable (laughs) like something that was not easy to do um and so you know it's it's easy not not that it's easy to do youth ministry but it's that's what I'm that's what I do and that's what I'm comfortable with and so it was kind of a, a passion for or a longing for God to make me do something that would stretch me and cause me to be uncomfortable
2: I think um we kind of kind of came a little bit from the flip side of it from what Josh and Chelsea did um so I kind of fell into my first job um, in foster care kind of accidentally after college, um, obviously it was by God's design, um, and realized at that point that foster care and adoption is something that I'm very passionate about and that I love. Um, and then a few years into that job, took a different position um, outside of the foster care system and realized how much I missed that world. Um, and then you know, we decided to become foster parents, um, and it's, it's a little different from The professional side to the very personal side um but i it's definitely something that i feel passionate about um and that i feel like that's something god given um where i say we kind of came from it from the opposite perspective we weren't necessarily thinking adoption when we started we were thinking you know foster care and then you know well maybe if there was a kid in our home that needed a forever family we would consider that um our perspective changed a little on that when we had kiddos in our home that um there for a while and we fell in love with them so we we very much shifted over to that adoption side of things um but that was kind of our beginnings
1: yeah and then for myself uh along with holly just have a passion for kids and want to see them healthy and and happy i'd had some experience through a, a bible college that i was at or had been a part of doing some inner city ministry in columbus doing a kids club down there and just getting to know some kids that didn't come from a farming background like I did. And so getting to have my eyes open to some of that uh, type of community and um, just just loving on them. And then through Holly and, and once we got married and, and knowing what goes along in foster care, that mindset just kind of changed from you know going to a once a week or a couple times a week club to maybe uh, what about having these kids in your home and helping them out that way. So just um, having that passion to, you know, make sure kids are, are taken care of.
0: It was funny. I was talking to somebody in between services that were in foster care um, many, many years ago, many decades ago, and, and they, they shared with me how they still remain in contact with those foster families over the years. So you use that phrase, forever family. Forever family means a lot of different things, doesn't it? Um, how was your decision to uh, foster or adopt influenced by your faith?
1: And so the, you know, like we said in the, the first service, the easy answer is the, the verse there that, you know, says uh, pure and undefiled religion is is caring for widows and orphans, and that's not to sit up here and say if you don't have foster kids in your home that you're not following scripture. We'll talk later about how there's a lot of different ways that you can be involved with that mission, um, but for myself. And, you know, Holly can share just uh, kind of that God-given uh, drive or, or inner being that, uh, like I said, wants to see kids taken care of and, and in good, good places. Um, I'm not sure that that would have come if, if I wouldn't be pursuing God and pursuing His heart. Uh, I tend to be more of a selfish person, so I'm sure that would not have been a natural inclination for me to open my home to um, other kids. But so that's that's how that would have how God would have influenced that for me.
2: I would say just kind of like I alluded to earlier, um, I definitely feel like it's something that God has placed in my heart as um, a calling, um, something I feel very passionate about. As my husband will tell you, there's not really a whole lot I like talking about more than foster care and adoption. So. Um, yeah, just a gift that God has given me. I would say.
3: Um, I think, and, and this is a churchy answer, so I apologize, but <laughs> um, like the reason that we're able to love anyone is because God loved us first, and so um, God has God has shown us that love, and God has expressed that love to us with the desire to then love other people. And uh, throughout Scripture, there's times where that love, you know, is loving people that are. Not the easiest to love, or in difficult situations, and so um, the reason we're able to do that is because God loved us first, and so that's kind of the the churchy uh, churchy answer of of that. Um, but and, and this, so th- then this next part of my answer, uh, I didn't even I guess I didn't even realize until first service when we were singing uh, the song Resurrecting, where, where the resurrected King is resurrecting um, me. And uh, I was thinking about that. And that's why we're able to do what we do. And that's why we do what we do is because the God whose son died and was resurrected is also resurrecting us. And so he's calling us to new life. He's bringing us to new life. But then he's also calling us to use that resurrection power um, here on earth. And so when we do whatever it is that we're called to do. Uh, we're using that resurrection power to bring about new life uh, in in our in our kingdom of of earth here. Um, and so, um, I guess that's how faith has kind of driven me to do that.
4: Um, well, kind of in a you know same light, but just a little bit different. I think just um, realizing it really has everything to do with why we're, why we're doing it. Um, you know, when I, I look back at our journey of, like, of where we started clear back before we even were thinking about foster care, you know, with, with Josh's experiences and then being in lower lights and just and just how God has just been, like, weaving this story um, before we even realized where he, where we were headed and where he was calling us to. Um, and, you know, it, foster care is really, really hard. It's It's hard to um, take up the pain of of these kids and of their families, and and um, a lot of times as foster parents, we really have little to no say in how how their cases go, and how um, you know, and so we kind of just have to sit back and, and watch it, and that can be um, can be really hard. And so I remember with our with our first um, placement when things were kind of getting um, decisions were being made of what needed to be happening, and I was just um, you know the the mama bear was kind of coming out of me, and um, maybe shouldn't have been. And you know, it it didn't matter to be honest, <laughs> whether my mama bear came out or not. But I just really remember thinking like, is this even for me? Like, why are we putting our family through this? Are we even? You know, is this even what God is leading us to? And I um, I came across a devotion that that day, and um, they, they were talking about how um, even when there's fear and doubt, um, you know, calling is, is rarely simple. And um, even if I fear and doubt, that doesn't change the validity of the calling. And um, God does go before us in this. And even though I love those kids and I want, I want the best for them, God loves them that much more. And so um, I guess I would say, like, with, with my faith, that's what keeps us going and keeps us um, wanting to do it again. Is realizing that really God is holding the story. It's it's not us.
0: What are some lessons God's teaching you through these experiences?
1: <laughs> um, one of the things that is really uh, exciting to witness and be a part of whether through josh and chelsea's story or ours is the importance and involvement of community and josh alluded to or chelsea alluded to how the support came to them uh when they had their first placement and and we can express the same um gratitude we were in a different community or involved in a different community at that time but uh yeah just just seeing the body uh, come together to support a family that is opening their home to uh, other kids to another family and being involved that way uh, but for me myself the by far the biggest thing for me being involved with foster care that, that has been very eye opening for me uh, when when the kids came into our home and you know, I didn't know them from. I've never seen them before. Had zero connection to them, but just this uh, uh, Chelsea reference, the Mama Bear, but this this Papa Bear, this puffing up of I'm going to be this kid's protector. I want to show this kid love. I want them to know what love is, and I, you know, just this shadowing them with with my wing. And if I, as a human, with all my faults, can do that. How much more does God see that in me? And even as an adult, a married adult, that was a very eye-opening experience for me um, to to experience that myself and to have that to have my eyes open that way. That uh, that is the way my heavenly Father sees me.
2: I think I would say for um, myself personally is just that that kind of complete reliance on God. Um, not that we don't need to have it in. So many different areas of our life. But I think just being in the foster care system and um, and feeling as powerless, I think, as you do a lot of times in that system as foster parents, you don't really get to make any decisions. Um, so you have to trust in God, who who is all-powerful and who does control everything. Um, and just to know that as much as you want the best for these kids and these families, um, God knows them and loves them even more than you do. And he has more power than every judge and caseworker out there, and he can he can um, make things right um even when sometimes it, it doesn't seem like exactly the way we want to see things um but just to to have to rest in him and know that he is in control because you really aren't <laughs> so.
4: yeah i I think just um yeah he's i've just really been learning like what it means to love and um that maybe my way of life isn't the only way of life you know and um it's not always it's not always cut and dry um when we when we got our this is a small example but when we got our first placement um they would only they would only sleep all the lights on tv on um on the couch would not go in, in the, the bedroom, and like I was reeling for weeks. How am I going to get them in a bed in the dark in a bedroom and it was just like, how, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix them and I, I think you know even though that's a small example, I mean there have been lessons through that, but I think I just realized that you know my, my job is not to fix them and to put them in my box of how life should be, um, and really. What, what we're called to do, you know, as in foster care, but really with people everywhere is, is not to fix them and not to put them um, where we think they should be, but just to sit in their situation, and that's it. Just sit and love. And, you know, change, change comes from, from that. But I think just, you know, realizing that... Um, it, particularly with our with our team that we had just hearing her her stories and realizing she, like she does not even know what love truly is and so when when i say like jesus loves you like a simple foundational thing like that that means nothing to her to her it was like well what's he trying to to get from me or um you know so i just realizing like um, my, my calling is to show them what love is. It's not to fix them, and it's not to make them be who we think that they should be.
3: So uh, I think God's kind of... I've, I've come down to two things that God has been teaching me. Uh, first is when we, we're, we're called to be compassionate people and, and live a compassionate life, and when we do that... Um, uh, the, I think the concept of compassion is that we're not, we don't do things from a distance. Like when we're called to be compassionate people, we're, we're not called to uh, love them and, and care for them from a distance. Like, you know, we'll pray for you or maybe we'll send money. Um, it's not a distance kind of thing. It's We are called to, to immerse ourselves into their situations. And so to truly live that compassionate lifestyle is to um, kind of be as Chelsea said, sit in their situation with them, and to uh, be surrounded by that, and uh, and to come alongside, and so and that gets really difficult because there are some messy situations, and so but we're we're kind of we're called to be in that and to invite that pain into our lives, and it's not comfortable and it's not easy, um, but that's what it looks like to live compassion. The the second thing um, that God's been teaching me. Um, it's actually kind of a an aha moment I had in the shower this morning, <laughs> so uh, I, I hadn't been thinking about this until till then. Um, so, um, and it's kind of exactly what Dan was talking about: the importance of community and God's people um, surrounding other people. And so, this kind of uh, the reason it hit me this morning is because, uh, so. We just got a new foster placement uh, last night. We got we got two little babies. Um, I think it's because God was like, "Hey, you shouldn't do a foster care panel if you don't actually have foster kids in your house." So watch this. I'm gonna send a. So we had we we picked up two last night. Uh, they're they're back there. I think they're both back there somewhere. Um, anyway, um, so. So our first placement, the community coming around us, uh, you guys supporting us in in the ways that you supported us, was phenomenal. When we got these two last night, my parents just so happened to be here this weekend. And so uh, we we got that call, and I'm like, all right, Mom and Dad, are you ready to see the craziness of, of a foster care placement. And they're like, yeah, should we go get a hotel or something so you guys can have the room? And I'm like, nope, you're here with us tonight. You're going to be here. And so, uh, so they were just there. Uh, they're, like, it was our community, our family um, surrounding us, being there with us. And so what I was thinking about this morning was um, that's exactly how God interacts and works here on earth. It's through his people. Like, there's no way that we can do foster care. Like, it's just, it's not logical (laughs) to bring lots of kids into your home. It it doesn't make sense. Um, And there's like all these, but this and but that, and I don't have this and I don't have that. God, in his infinite power and wisdom, could probably just be like, okay, Josh, here it is. Here's everything that you need. And like, it just shows up at our house, right? That's not how God works. God works with his people, he interacts with his people through community, like other believers coming alongside. And so, man, if that's how God works in the kingdom, like if that's how God brings the kingdom of heaven to kingdom of earth is through people, that's, I I was thinking like, that means that every time that God kind of prods me or nudges me or calls me to do something, if I'm not obedient to that, then I'm potentially uh, robbing someone else of a an encounter with God, like uh, with God doing His work in their life. And that's a lot of pressure, <laughs> and I don't really know how to deal with it. I haven't had time to process that because it was just this morning, um, but I've been kind of thinking on that.
0: What's something about foster care that you wish everyone in the church knew?
1: Um. Uh, it's like you come up with a different thing every every day and then you wish I wish everybody knew that how that worked but uh, one of the things that kind of sticks out to me um, and it's not a it's not a bad thing it's it's just human nature that when you know if a new placement comes into a a foster care home uh, you just want to know like what evil thing did their parents do and and are you gonna be able to keep them and and things like that and and like I said, it's a natural thing. Even I, as a foster parent, when I see a new placement for somebody else, I had those same questions. And I guess if there was a, uh, how would you say it, a request or a a kind of melding of the minds, if if that switch could just kind of be flipped, uh, not that curiosity is a bad thing, but just to realize that a lot of times foster parents, we can't talk about what is going on in the birth families or we have no idea how long these kids are going to be with us. There's, We don't know how many examples of us or our friends where all this is just going to be a a two-month placement and it turns out to, well, they're adopted three years later or whatever. But foster parents don't know if kids are going to get to stay. Uh, A lot of times they can't talk about the situation. And just understanding, too, that just because a a child – a sibling group has been removed from their home. It's not that they were getting beat or um, molested or something like that. There's there's a lot of different reasons that kids can get removed uh, from their home. So it doesn't mean that their parents are evil people or you know anything like that. And so I guess if you, if if that mindset could just be kind of changed to oh what's going on here? To how can we help? What can we do to support you? And and what do you need uh, with this new addition to your family? That would be it'd be helpful, um, but at the same time, obviously, as foster parents, we do need those times of venting and, and being able to talk with with people, and, and, and that's needed as well.
2: I think, um, I, well, I agree with that, but I can't think of anything else to say about it, so um, I think just in addition to that, um, knowing how much those, what might seem like little things that you do to be supportive. Um, how much they mean and how important they are. Um, You know, it might seem like no big deal to take dinner over when somebody's got a new placement or something like that. Um, But when you're in the middle of that and the chaos that that can be, um, it's huge. So, or I was thinking about one time, you know, we had for a long time... (laughs) had two in diapers at the same time um, and our church at that time did a diaper shower for us which I don't think probably to anybody participating felt like a real big deal but to us it felt huge um, so just some of those little practical things that, that might seem small to you really do make an impact
3: so, um, so I would I would say uh, kind of the understanding or maybe it's the misunderstanding of uh, just that that assumptions that if these kids are in foster care like man, these parents are really, really bad. And so there's that kind of misunderstanding that I would, um, I would encourage. Like That doesn't, that's not necessarily the case. Um, there are so many factors that go into this and it's never like an easy solution. Like just if they just get a job, it's never that easy. And so there's so many things that, that go into that. And so um, kind of understanding that they're in this cycle and it's very difficult to get out, and it's um, so. There's that. What, what I would also say is, um, all of the kids that are placed in foster care have experienced trauma of some sort or another. Um, just there's varying degrees of that, and so. But just being removed from your your family, your family home, and placed in another home is in and of itself trauma, and so every um, foster child. Is, has experienced trauma there 's obviously great even far greater degrees of that that trauma. I say all that to say that that trauma um, kind of directs the way that we parent the kids who are living with us, uh, so we have to go through all this like trauma informed care um, that it kind of teaches us how to to parent these kids and so um, So for us as a church, sometimes that looks, the way that we would parent our foster kids may look a little bit different than what you're used to and what you would do with your own kids. And to be honest, it's different than what what would be our natural um, leaning to teach our kids. So there may be times when you see us uh, parenting our kids, our foster kids, and and you're like, man, if that was my kid, I would do this or I wouldn't let them do that. And we get that and maybe we agree with you. Uh, but because of the trauma, and sometimes we don't even know the trauma that they've been through, but because of that trauma, we have to do things a little bit differently. Um, and so just example I gave in first service was where our first placement was a teenager and when she came to church, like sometimes she would sleep and she wouldn't dress up and you know, it was just kind of a, she was here. Um, and you know if it was my kid, I would, you know, I'd say Come on, wake up. or You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's things based on that that trauma um, that we do a little bit differently and it may cause you to question why, and that's okay. But I guess we would just maybe ask for grace in that and don't think that we're terrible people. Oh, I took yours?
0: Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What would you tell someone who's considering foster care? What would be your advice?
1: Threatened, I was going to say run, <laughs> and that comes from uh, just our foster care story, and it's it's too long to go into here. But that I say that jokingly. I, um, foster care, like you've probably understood or know, uh, whether from us talking or from people that you know, it's uh, it's messy and. It's like everyone has said, as foster parents, it seems like you have the least input into what is good for those kids. And that is that is hard when you've got um, kids, a kid, whatever it might be in your home that you've been caring for and, and loving on, and it just seems like the system is sending them down a road that is just not healthy for them. Um, So I guess what I would say to anyone that is considering foster care is, um, number one, sit down and count the cost of what that is going to involve for you. Um, I think we know a few couples that maybe they see a video like this and it breaks their heart and they just want to be that hero that comes in and swoops up kids and and helps them. And that is awesome. That is great. That's, like I said, it's part of our passion, what we want to do. But it's it's a whole lot more than that. There's a whole lot more involved uh, when you start dealing with um, the system or with potentially birth families and, and things along that line. So just you know, count the costs, but at the same time, know that it is uh, it's it's beyond rewarding. And uh, Pastor mentioned you know another family that said years later. Uh, kids or families that they were involved with and helping out there's still connection there and i know for ourselves after our first placement uh it was just a little girl that she was th- three months three months old when she came with us and and it was a great reunification and um we were able to stay in contact and so months later a year later we would go every i don't know every other month or every three months and go pick her up and and bring her to our house for a weekend and from three months, she was only with us for a couple months, until she was a year and a half. When we would walk in that door, her face would just light up, and you wouldn't think a, a three-month-old would remember you like that. And that was just, you know, even now, it just gives me shivers of of that kind of thing. Um, now, granted, not every story turns out great, but those kids, if they were in your home for any amount of time, they have something to go back to. They know uh, what. What love is, they know what care looks like, and and hopefully they can implement that into their life as they as they get old and start making their own decisions and and aren't uh, moved around by the the system. So foster care is well worth it. Um, and I, like I said, even if even if you don't get into that personally by opening up your own home, uh, find other families who are and. And help out with babysitting. You know, get yourself approved for, you know, being an approved caregivers for them, so that you can um, give them a break, give them a day off, a night off, whatever it might be, and just and support in that way. Uh, even if you're not directly opening your home up.
2: I think I would just say, you um, know, it, it seems like a common theme that whole, you know, it would be hard. It's it's what if I Love them so much, and they left, and, and I don't negate that. I think that's a common theme because it's a very real issue, um, and so I've you know I've processed through some of that myself, and have had conversations with other people who have done it, and I think one of the most um, powerful things that was ever stated to me was from somebody who had who had done this for a long time, and she said, you know, when you when you have a child and you care for that child and the child's family. Um, and that child leaves, your heart breaks because it is a loss for you. Even though it's a gain for them potentially to be returning to the, you know their family of origin, um, it's a loss for you. But she said, if you let God take those pieces of your broken heart and put them back together, at the end of it, your heart will be bigger than it was before. And I thought that was incredibly powerful. So.
4: Yeah, I guess I mean practically, I um, you know we've talked about the community and how important it is. Um, to have a community um, to support you. Um, uh, so I would say, you know, start building that community. But um, also, I, I think, you know, it's never easy to, to step out of your comfort zone and um, you can find a million re- reasons why not to. Um, but I, I guess I would say, if you have an inkling, if you f- if you feel like God is is maybe calling you to that, um, you know put put your yes on the table and listen to to those prods you know could, you know we, we've kind of talked about um, every situation almost every situation did not come at the time that we expected it to and um, kind of you know caught us off guard, including the one that happened last night um, but God, like God, was opening doors every single time that we were willing to put our yes on the table. And sometimes I had to just sit. I had to just sit back um, and let Him work. But I think just um, just listening to the prods and acting on those prods um, and taking those little steps of obedience.
3: I would say, if you feel like it's something uh, that, you, that you may be interested in, then I would say do something about it. (laughs) And so uh, what I mean by that is I tell my teenagers all the time, if they are feeling like God is calling them to do something, then now is the time to kind of test that and try it. So like if you're saying, I think that God may be calling me to be a teacher, then I will tell my teenager, you need to get with Pastor Kim and like help teach one of the, the kids Sunday school classes. And you may find out that you hate kids, and, and teaching is not for you. <laughs> um, kind of the same, the same with If this is something that you, maybe God is calling you to do, do something to kind of say, like Chelsea said, the, the small yeses uh, to kind of test the waters. Start going to training. You may find out it's not what God is calling you to do, and that's okay. Um, but I would say do something. And uh, shameless plug for our organization, we're all with the Buckeye Ranch, and so if you decide to, you can go there and drop one of our names as references. And we'll get some benefits from that. Do
0: you get a Do you get a bonus, bonus kit or something? A bonus kid, it? yes.
3: <laughs> 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 Two for the price. Of, yeah.
0: So, so, and I appreciate that you've all used the the phrase "called to" with, with the understanding that nobody's called to do this. Uh, but but if you if you don't feel called to do this, but 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 you still want to help, how how can you help if you don't feel the call to have uh, foster kids actually staying with you?
4: Uh, you you know, and I I rea- I realize that that you know my my passions and what what God has instilled in us, um, are, may not be yours. And taking care of the least of these is in is in a lot of different in a lot of different ways. And so my ministry is not necessarily your ministry. Um, but I would say you know definitely. Um, being a support to other foster families, I mean, you you all were a great support to us um, when we got our our first placement. Um, you know, we had cards and gift cards, and and I mentioned there was chocolate on my front porch, and um, you know, just words of encouragement, and that you know that that's a big deal, I mean, people. Offering to babysit, there are there are quite a few appointments and meetings that come with um, taking in, and that really it relieves the burden and it and it does it does make a difference. Um, but I would just also say, you know, a part of taking care of the least of these is just keeping your eyes open t- to what's around you, you know, because it's it's here too. Um, so it it may not, not necessarily be orphan care, but it is. Um, you know, taking care of the least of these, and so that's that's
2: just another way I don't know if I have really anything additional to say, but yeah, just kind of tag team on that like we we might not all call to all be called to be foster parents, but but that is a biblical mandate for everyone is um, you know to care for the least of these, and I think probably we're all doing that in some way um, as people touch our lives so but yeah, just the support. Um, that kind of that community surrounding people who are in the middle of foster care, like we've talked about a lot of things is, is huge.
1: Yeah. I don't have anything really new to add to that. Just echoing what they said there. And um, I think I mentioned, um, I'm not sure currently what all the restrictions are for, you know, being a babysitter for a foster family. It used to be, you had to go get your fingerprints in background check and all that stuff. And so that, really shrunk down a foster family's babysitting pool. I don't, it's not that way now, but you know, if there's things that you can do to make yourself available for, like I said, giving somebody a night off or a day off, uh, that's great. And then, you know, just being available to, um, vent, uh, you know, when the system is raking a, a foster family over the coals and just, uh, Maybe you don't understand what they're talking about, but just letting them uh, vent and uh, kind of get stuff off their chest that comes with uh, working with caseworkers and judges and magistrates and things like that.
3: So uh, I'll I'll wrap us up here with, with just my uh, additional. How can you be involved? Um, there are I forgot to I forgot to bring it. Paul, can you hold that up? Um, we have some good job. Thank you. <laughs> This um, this is a, a little booklet. It's just a prayer guide for foster care, and yeah, they're on the table out in the uh, in the foyer. Um, they're also they're also on our website, and they will go out in tomorrow's weekly email update. A uh, link to that electronically. Uh, if even if you're not called to take in um, foster kids or, or to, to adopt, we covet your prayers in this, and I know that anybody else. In in this does as well. So that's just a prayer guide, kind of praying for foster families, foster kids, biological families, even the social workers, that kind of thing. So grab that. Also in your bulletin, uh, there's an insert that has the discussion guide for like your small groups. On the back side of that, and then like the the last two thirds of the back side uh, are just a list of a bunch of different resources, uh, volunteer organizations that you can be involved in foster care. Um, so I'd encourage you to check those out. Uh, the one thing I would I would also mention that I did. I forgot to say in, in first service, one of the biggest kind of needs in foster care is people to invest in teenagers, uh, foster teens, because uh, they age out of the system and then there's no longer support for them. And so they're kind of just thrown out into real life. And uh, And so I think there was a statistic on the video about um, uh, higher crime rate and that kind of thing. Uh, Union County actually does some things with, they're called wraparound cases where you can be a part of this teen who's about ready to uh, age out of foster care they're a wraparound team to help make sure that they're successful um, so they're, they're always looking for people to do that so check out that um, the the list on there grab your prayer guide um, and, uh, and I think that that's it so would you guys I don't want to ask for applause for myself but will you guys clap for these three um, so thanks guys Thank you guys for listening. We're going to close with a song, so you guys can go ahead and, and come up here. Um, yeah, you guys can go ahead and uh, have a seat. So we're going to close with a song called So Will I. Um, and so Amy sent this song to me last week and, and just said, hey, what do you think about this for kind of a closing song? And I was listening to it. And in the in the song, it kind of it talks about All that God does, and who God is, and how He breathes life into to the earth, and He cares for uh, for His creation, and the mountains will cry out to God, and so will I. Well, the song kind of culminates with uh, talking about how God cares for every single person here on earth. He cares for values and loves them. And uh, regardless of their circumstance and their mess, he loves them. And so then the, the song is kind of, so will I. If that's who God is, if that's what God does, if he cares for each person, then so will I. And so ultimately that's why we kind of
0: do what we do um, in, in foster care. So mm.